I begin reading it. Romans chapter 8 and verse 16. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who had the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But we hope for what we do not see, and we wait for it with patience. Amen. A Christmas Carol, I read it every year. Charles Dickens, I just I got into the habit a while back and just have said, okay, it's going to be a little tradition. And um, one of the things um, in our text today that made me think about A Christmas Carol is uh, this quote that he has. Um, these two, two guys are coming in that are trying to uh, get Scrooge, Ebenezer Scrooge, to give money to their calls um, to help the poor. And um, he says, you know, what business do you have me today? And he says, we hope you're, uh, he says, Marley's been dead, these, you know, one year ago this Christmas Eve. And, he, and the men say, well, I hope his liberality or his generosity was to where I think, I hope his liberality is represented by the surviving member. And as soon as he hears the word liberality, he's like, oh, he realizes why they're there and he wants no part of this. But the thing they say is Christmas is a time of all others when want is keenly felt and abundance rejoices. So it's just a, a good line. Christmas is a time of all others when want is clean, keenly felt and abundance rejoices. And so we all know that whenever we're looking at particularly Christmas time, it can be a very difficult time for a lot of people. Um, and sort of the, the older you get, the more difficult it may be. Christmas is a time of all others when want is keenly felt and abundance rejoices. And so, younger people might not think of Christmas as being anything having to do with sorrow at all, other than the fact that they have to wait so long for Christmas to get here. And as you know, when you were little, it seemed like it took forever for Christmas to get here. And when you're older, it's like, it's going to be here again before we know it. So if we could this year, let's start planning a little earlier for our uh, Christmas celebrations and we won't do it, though, because it comes upon us so quickly. But then we know that we have poorer families, and it can be a time of difficulty when so many people are out spending lavishly, and even advertisements are encouraging um, gift-giving and uh, of expensive gifts. And then as we get older and have more and more Christmases, um, more and more Christmases passed to look back on, um, there can be sadness from those who are missing from us and even... Uh, ways of life and the world having changed so much, and you look around, it's just a time when it's like it, it's a, a tradition, full of, of tradition. And so it does cause you to, to look back. And then some people can have 
um, terrible memories of the past, and some people have beautiful memories of the past, but what you're kind of always called to do is to say, well, here I am now, and there I was then, and then you have to think, okay, what about the future? But it can be a time when people really um, are struggling, and then there's this general idea that everyone is supposed to be exceptionally happy and merry and bright during the season, and it can make those problems and trials and sorrows and sufferings seem even more difficult. And then Paul here in verse 18 calls these difficulties and trials which we experience in this life, he calls them sufferings. Now, depending on what you may be going through, you might think, well, that seems a bit harsh of a word. And if you're a young child, um, I don't know what you might think sufferings are. Some children actually go through sufferings. But as we go through life, we begin to understand a little more what's meant and why Paul would even use this word sufferings. And it's written um, by him through the Holy Spirit. So we see that God does not take our sufferings lightly. And nowhere in Scripture does, does he take these trials lightly. But he indeed is calling them sufferings. <clears throat> Paul himself is absolutely no stranger to sufferings. If you know anything about the life of Paul, he was shipwrecked. He's beaten several times. Stonings where they actually take stones to, to kill you with. And one time he appears to have actually died and been brought back to life even. Um, he's harassed, imprisoned, and for the gospel. You know, it's one thing to be like I was out stealing cars and got caught. You know, you can at least feel, well, I brought this on myself. Paul's out there preaching the gospel and he's in prison trying to do God's work for God's people. And then he writes Philippians. He's like, hey, I tell you what, even the guards here are turning to Christ. They're hearing the gospel. Count all joy, you know, because he's preaching to himself in the prison too. And so when he says to us, I consider that the sufferings of the present time are not worth comparing to the glory that's being revealed to us or can be translated in us. He, he, he's not saying this lightly. This isn't some guy that's living some perfect life and he's just like, hey, I know y'all got it hard, but it's going to be okay. I mean, that's one thing, you know, somebody to tell you not to worry about your financial problems when he's, you know, got tons of money. But somebody that's, you know, poor, telling you not to worry about your financial problems, that's different. I was talking to, to, to Malcolm Henderson with the Haiti ministry. He's like, people texting, calling constantly for needing help. And then he's like, you can't help everybody. Who do you help? Who do you not help? What do you say to people who have nothing? You know, it's like, it's fine. It'll be okay. Uh, pray. You know, what do you say? Because there's not necessarily physical help coming. And so what you see is when you go to, to Haiti, the Haitians' faith is strong. And I've, I've got um, I had notes today, actually, because a couple of people from there actually listen to these sermons and are like, mention me. <laughs> so, and Sito, he watches, and we pray for Sito. He's going through trials and tribulations. And um, Franco, Pastor Franco in his church, I asked him one time, like, how much money would help? He said, money's not going to help. <laughs> he said, pray for us. You know, they're strong. So your faith grows in a different way as you go through these different trials. And we're praying for, you know, Javinci and Destiny and Patrick and Simeon and uh, the church in Lakabat, church in Junkmel, all these different churches that are there worshiping and praising God in the midst of great want. And then you watch them also giving abundantly as they're able. And so 
God is working with us and through us in all these different ways, and we all have different types of sufferings. Don't think just because you may not be going through the same types of trials as the Christians in Haiti, it means you're not, you shouldn't count your trials as trials. And even as, the, as God calls it, sufferings. Because we go through in this life sufferings. Paul doesn't dare say a believer should never suffer. He even in verse 17 calls us to share in Christ's sufferings. Jesus suffered and even suffered the painful and shameful death of the cross. And in Hebrews, we're told that he endured the cross, despising the shame because of the joy that was set before him. He wasn't saying, well, this is a magnificent thing that's happening now. The joy that was set before him is why he was able to endure it. And what was that future joy? And it is the very thing that Paul's telling us now to remember in our sufferings, sufferings that he was in what he was doing was working to bring many sons to glory, as we say. That his work on the cross was going to be the only means of reconciliation of sinners to God. It was going to be the only means of anyone being able to stand in the presence of God and not be in hell forever paying for their own sins. That he was paying for the sins of his people so that they would not perish but have eternal life. And then Paul, here in Romans, is reminding us in verse 18 that the sufferings of this present time, and what he means by that is kind of a, it's called a technical term that Paul uses. It doesn't mean like right this second, although it includes right this second, but when he says this present time, he means in this age, in this church age, the time between the, 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 the resurrection and the, the, the Pentecost where the church has been birthed and we're now living in this time awaiting for Christ's final return so that we live in this time as a time when the sufferings in this time, so don't believe that if you had enough faith that you wouldn't have sufferings. Don't believe that if you had enough faith you would only have uh, material blessing, because hopefully we all understand that material blessing isn't necessarily a blessing, that it can be a curse, that it, it all depends on what you do with it, so that Paul's able to say, I've learned, you know, the secret to being faithful when I'm poor and faithful when I'm rich, I'm faithful in hard times, faithful in good, you know, the secret to being able to get through these things, and that's that verse that most people take out of context, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But people use that verse all the time. I can do everything. Everything I can do. I can be happy. No, 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 no. It's talking about whatever you're going through in life, you can get through it. Whether it's great things, hard things, rich things, poor things, whatever it is, Christ who strengthens me. And that word strengthens can also be translated as comfort, with forte, with strength. So comfort and joy doesn't, because we comfort somebody, we think about, oh, you know, you, but what are you trying to do to that person? You're trying to strengthen them. And sometimes what we can do when we comfort people is we, we make them weak. We don't want to make them weak. God's not trying to make you weak. God's making us strong in him, in faith, so that we might have a true joy that can be set before us. And so Paul is reminding us that the sufferings in this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that's coming after this, that's going to be revealed to us or it's going to be revealed in us, that there's this future glory. Present sufferings are to be endured in light of future glory. 
So it's not just that, just, let's just pretend this is not happening, or let's just pretend this isn't bad. Let's just act like there's no problem here. I've got a lot of faith. La, 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 la. It's all okay. It's all okay. You know, it's just like you just don't lie to yourself. There's difficulties. And, and I don't want to say it's okay. It's difficult. But it doesn't mean you don't have faith. It doesn't mean God's abandoned you. It doesn't mean he's up there with his whip trying to tell you how awful you are. And this is what he's going to talk about. But the main thing he's saying is these present sufferings, as bad as they may be, and you can even maybe see other people as bad as they are for them, there's a future glory that's going to be so much bad. If bad, if our level of, of bad drops, is, is, is like, how bad is your bad? Oh, it's bad. It's all my, my bad, my suffering level's up to here. Well, how about your future glory level? Well, you can't even, that's so much. You, you can't even compare it. And so it's like, <clears throat> if that's just pine sky, untrue stuff, then we're to be people most pitied. But if it's for real, if you have faith revealed this, like, hey, you know what, this really is something coming that's better. I mean, it's easy. You know if you're dealing with something that's painful, like if somebody's going, you know, i got to fix a broken finger, I'm going to give you a shot. Something's going to hurt for a second, but after that, it's going to be all better. You know, if you, your shoulder's out of joint, well, this is going to hurt a little bit, but you know, oh, oh, it's, you know, so if you've had that happen before, you're willing to endure a little bit of pain now because you know it's going to provide something better. So our problem with dealing with struggles right now is, one, they are hard, and two, it just takes faith to see these things, to have this kind of hope. But this is what he's saying, and this is what we're praying for God to give us. So just a couple places I want us to go to see where Paul talks about suffering um, just a little more. So look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Keep your place here in Romans, and we go to 2 Corinthians, which is just a couple of books over from here. Chapter 4, beginning in verse 16, and I'm just going to read through 5, 8. So it's 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 5, 8. He's saying we do not lose heart. Okay, yes, we don't give up. We don't, you know, not losing heart. Though our outer self or our outer man is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this, and this is what Paul's calling it here, these sufferings, this light momentary affliction. Now, this is where I tell people usually with this kind of thing, it's like uh, John Piper wrote a book called Don't Waste Your Cancer. Now, he wrote that when he had cancer. Because if you write a book like that and you've never had cancer, that's just like, that's kind of harsh to tell somebody don't waste your cancer. It's like, no, no, no. You have to have gone through these things. So for somebody to say, hey, it's a light momentary affliction. It's like, oh, you've never been through it. It's like, you, that's, not, I don't, that's, that's, that's cold of you to say it. But when Paul is in this with us, and he's gone through suffering, and he's gone through it, he's seen death, he's seen torture, he's seen imprisonment, he's seen more than most of us have seen, and he's reminding us and himself that this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us. So these things are doing something, too. They're not just something to endure, but they're preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So he's making this comparison word again. Suffering is not worth comparing to the glory that awaits us and an eternal weight of glory that's beyond all comparison. He's doing a little play on words between the Hebrew word kabod for, for glory, which means heaviness, weightiness, this, this glory 
So our light momentary afflictions in which he's including all the most difficult things that are happening to you are working an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen but to things that are unseen for the things that are seen are transient. It's like they're going to go away. It's not going to last this long. But the things that are unseen are eternal. I mean, that's the interesting thing. Eternal. That means that's going to go on and on. Infinite is another word. They've been there before us. It's, going to, it's never going to end. This is like a vapor. It just seems like a long time because we're in the middle of it. But in eternity, comparatively, and this is what he's saying, have your hearts, have your minds there that's our true home. That's our true place. And then in verse chapter 5, 1, we know that the tent, that is our earthly home, is destroyed. Talking about our bodies. He's just calling it a tent. If it's destroyed, we have a building from God. A house. Okay, it's not just a tent. A house, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. In this tent we groan. So he's admitting the fact that there's groanings. Longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked, for while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed. So we're not losing anything when we've cast off this body. We're actually getting something better. You get a glorified body so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. And I always love funerals. This is one of my favorite verses to, to preach because death is what is mortal. You're actually, for the believer, you're being swallowed. I always think about Jonah being swallowed by the great fish. You're being swallowed by life. Even Jonah, as he was going down, going down, going down, what brought him up was that great fish that swallowed him up and then vomited him out on dry land. So this is not a good Christmas carol, but we're going to be swallowed by life and vomited into glory. That, see, that doesn't work. We're going to be swallowed by life. And it's even what's beginning to happen with us now. And he, has per- he who has prepared us for this very thing is God. And that's interesting. It doesn't say for he who has prepared this thing, but he has prepared us for this thing. And so some of this is happening through suffering. And he's given us the spirit as a, as a guarantee. A guarantee. So this is the thing. It's like you put down some money and you're going to buy the house. And if you don't buy the house, then they get to keep the money. But it's me giving a promise that I'm going to buy this house and here's a down payment. And so God with the Holy Spirit is saying, um, well, let's, let's continue in Romans chapter 8 because I don't want to jump too far ahead of myself. Um, but he's putting down down payment on glory. So one more place before we get back to Romans 8 is First Peter. So go to First um, Peter's, like very close to Revelation. So if you go toward there, First Peter chapter one, verses three through seven. First Peter chapter one, three through seven. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance. Now, hopefully, you're keeping up with what's going on in, in Romans 2. It's talking about you receive adoption of sons, receive the inheritance of God. And so now he's talking about this inheritance Peter's talking about, verse 4 an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept for you in heaven, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. 
In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So what he's saying again is there is purpose in your trial. And the purpose of being grieved by various trials is for the tested genuineness of your faith. And so it means a couple of things. Uh, you find out what your faith's made of when stuff happens. But it's also because it's the way you test gold. Uh, gold has impurities in it, and so what you do is you heat it up, and then the, it begins to melt, and the impurities, the dross, it begins to float away, and that's how you get more and more pure gold. And he's saying your faith is more valuable than gold. And so this is what happens to our faith as we go through these trials that we're going through, these fiery trials. Our faith is tested. Because you might believe one thing, and then you go through a trial, and then your faith is like, oh, really? This is what you believe? This is what, this is what, now what do you think? And so if you're a believer, it'll drive you to his word, and you'll learn things. And this is what John Piper meant by don't waste your cancer, is there are things that you can only learn by going through trials. And your faith is strengthened and changed and uh, purified so that your faith begins to be, I mean, none of us are going to say, throw more at me, Lord. You know, we don't want to, I mean, Peter would go through something like that. He's like, you know, help me not to go through any problems. He's like, throw all the problems at me. He's like, we don't want to go through fiery trials because they're fiery and they're trials and they're difficult and they're painful. But we just had to be careful as we're going through these trials that we listen to what God's telling us about them so that we can have a future hope, a hope now for a future glory. And then stay in First Peter and just look at a couple verses in chapter 4. So First Peter chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. So it's good. Prosperity, guys. I don't get it. Here, you're going to have fiery trials. And you, so, a fiery trial, you're not supposed to be, oh, I'm a Christian. I'm not supposed to have fiery trials. And I'm not trying to make light of it. Because the last thing, I don't want fiery trials to come my way because, well, John, you're making fun of fiery trials. I am not, for the record, making fun of fiery trials. Okay? Fiery trials are difficult. But don't be surprised when they happen to you as a believer because these things happen as though it's something strange that's happening to you. But rejoice. Again, this is one of those things, I'm not sure if you go visit somebody and they're having a fiery trial that you go in and say, hey, rejoice. Yeah, it's like, uh, that's not what they want to hear. You weep with those who weep. You mourn with those who mourn. You rejoice with those who rejoice. But hopefully you're dealing with a believer. And if they've never heard this as you're doing some sort of deep counseling with people or the Holy Spirit speaking to yourself as you're going through these things, the Holy Spirit is saying rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So this is why we're able to say, I'm going to rejoice. Not that, oh, thank you, I'm going through a terrible fiery trial, thank you. No, something future's coming. That's why I'm rejoicing, because this stuff here makes me want to go there more. Now you might say there's also things here that make you sometimes say, well, I want to take it. I love things. I love my family. I love my children. You know, so it's good. These are good and perfect gifts that come from God. They're just taste of heavenly things that are going to be so much more imaginably, unimaginably incomparable to the sufferings that we're going through that 
that's where our hope should be set. And so back to Romans chapter 8, verse 19, we have this creation which is waiting with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Now he's like, so really, I was like, why does he do this whole thing here? Why talk about creation groaning? I mean, does, does he just want us to know about the new heavens and new earth? Or is he trying to, he's obviously trying to encourage us through, through trials. And so he's making a point about all of, why are we going through trials? Why, why that at all? If we had not, if it had not been for the fall and the sin of Adam, we'd be in the perfect garden. There wouldn't be trials. We're talking about fiery trials and sufferings. This is all a result of the curse. So he's saying creation itself waits with eager longing. Now, what he's saying in the midst of this is you're also a part of creation, and you certainly should be waiting for this eager longing, and look what they're waiting for, and it's our future glory. And this word that says when you read waits with eager longing, in Greek, that's, that's one word. Okay, it's just a, and it's... Um, Apokaradakia. I worked on that. Apokaradakia. And the word kara means head. And so, literally it is, to wait with the head raised, the eye fixed at the point of the desired object. It depicts someone standing on tiptoes or stretching the neck and straining forward to see. And so they had a little birthday party for, for Bear yesterday, and Maybe you have presents of some sort at your house. I don't know. But I thought about, but I didn't want to torture the little children and see people crying of having a, a gift and saying, oh, I've gotten the most magnificent thing. I've got something that is perfect. It's just wonderful. And all the kids just like, what is it? But you've seen it. So you know what I'm talking about. You've seen children. They're like, what is it? What is it? You know, they want to see. Something's on the table. They can't get to it. What is it? What is it? What is it? You know, and they're just about, you know, they're crazy for it to wait. That's what this word is. The creation itself is like, what? Straining for it. Where is it? You know, so you can think about the father waiting for the prodigal son to return. That's a different kind of waiting. He's scanning the horizon, and he's hoping to see it. He's hoping one day. But he's watching. But when you hear he's coming, <laughs> where is he? Where is he? You know, and that's the thing. You know you got presents under that table, tree. <laughs> you know you have something's coming, and it's this eager expectation. And it should be our attitude. And this is what he's saying. It's supposed to be our attitude about our future glory, the revealing of the sons of God. That's us. And so salvation in the Bible is done and being done. So it's like you're in the best analogy I've heard, well, a good one is, uh, you're on a ship, and the ship is going down. It's the Titanic, okay? You're going down. What are we going to do? Well, here come these rescue ships, and now you're on the rescue ship, and it's taking you to shore. You have been saved, but you're also being saved, and you're, 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 you don't want to live on that ship. I mean, it's still cold. It's still nasty. It's still all these things, but we're going to our destination, and so then you'll be saved, saved, and so that's the Bible talks about with us at times is you have been saved, but you're also being saved. You've been adopted as children. You are now God's children. That's what the Bible says. But it, it also says you ain't seen nothing yet. The revealing of the sons of God, the redemption of our bodies, it says here in Romans 8. That's the thing. The, not just our personal redemption, which is awesome, but there's going to be this thing coming. 
that we're just like, that's what you need to keep your hope in. That's where we need to, to be aware. Even creation itself is looking forward to this thing. And then in verse 20, it says, for a creation was subjected to futility. That's that word hebel, uh, vanity. It's a you know, vanity of vanities. It's all just to nothingness. It was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. And it's either where the comma goes here. So it's in hope. Or in, but what is the hope? It's been subjected, not just because I'm doing this, but there's something coming. That creation itself is going to be set free from bondage to corruption. And corruption is just this deadness and everything's running down. Everything's, and so we see this, but there's going to everything be set free and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So we have this glory that's coming us that even creation is ready. Because in the garden, even creation itself was cursed. The ground is cursed because of you, because of the sin that you've done. But there's this future glory that's coming. Verse 23, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with pains of childbirth. Now, why pains of childbirth? Just because that's like, well, that's a hurting thing. You know, maybe today we'd say uh, is with the, with the pain of slamming your finger in a car door. I mean, as a man, that's the most painful thing I can imagine because I've experienced it. But he's not just saying, let me think of something that produces pain. It's like, no, you slam your finger in a car door. It's like, there's nothing good about that. I mean, Accordingly to you know this present sufferings work in an eternal way to glory. I'm not supposed to sit there and go, oh, thank you, God, for allowing me to, you know, it's like, but all these things working together. Pains of childbirth are something's coming. And the reason I'm willing to put up with this is because there's a baby coming. And that's what he's talking about, future hope. And so he's telling us that all of creation is groaning together in pains of childbirth. They're future. That's why we're willing to do it. Not only a creation, but we ourselves, who had the first fruits of the Spirit. And there's the first fruits. First fruits where the harvest was coming in. You give the first fruits, the best of it. You give it to God to say, all of this, I dedicate to God. And so we get a first fruits of the Spirit. What we get is a first fruit of the Spirit saying, this, you get all of the Holy Spirit's coming. You get a first fruit of it now. But all of it's coming. You've got Holy Spirit in you now. Love of God poured out into your hearts. You've been adopted. There's lots and lots of glory, but there's so much future glory that you just have to say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, the rock of Christ Jesus. The, the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that awaits us. I can get through this because of that. And the Spirit is groaning inwardly as we eagerly wait the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? I like to say, and well, I don't like to say it, but sometimes probably stupidest thing I'll say, but it's right. In, in heaven, you will be hopeless. The hopelessness of heaven. That'd, that'd be my book. Nobody would buy it and I'd be condemned as a heretic. Well, it means there's no hope. There's sight. You see it. It's there. You don't have to hope for anything. It's there, you have it in its fullness forever. And if, but now we have to hope for, we hope for what we don't see, but we wait for it with patience. And that's why um, we read Psalm 130, because it talks about this. And when we sing Psalm 130, it says, and wait for it with patience. Now, the word patience is an interesting word, too, because it doesn't just mean what we think by patience, but it means endurance. 
It means perseverance, long-suffering. So these, this thing that we're waiting for, and it's talking about this eager, that's that same word again, word again. If we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. This hoping for what we do not see, this waiting for what we do not see is, um, that's the same word, this waiting for it with patience. It's, this, it's, it's not just, I'm going to sit back and wait. It's this, it should be translated, could very well be translated, we eagerly await for it with patience. And endurance, perseverance, long-suffering. Patience is just like, be quiet in the back seat, we're almost there. We're almost there. I'm going to pull this car over, we're almost there, be patient. In other words, just keep your mouth shut and get through it. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about, you can wait for it. And maybe it is what we're talking about. Deal with it. <laughs> Endure. Persevere. You're going to get through this. We're going somewhere. We're going to get there. This is a necessary part of what has to happen. Can we get through this together? Let's do this thing. You know, so it can be trials and sufferings, but with, we do wait eagerly for these things with this patience. And that's the hard part. But we've been given an indomitable spirit which cries within us with groanings too deep for words, the spirit of adoption, the power of God's, the pouring out of God's love into our hearts, growing our faith into an eternal weight of glory. And John Stott, I find I quote him a lot in sermons. I just, he's, he, he certainly has a way, he's like Spurgeon. He kind of has a way of saying things and he, he says this, God has called us to a patient eagerness. And, and it just, I was, Christmas, this, is, this is a Christmas sermon right here. It's like patient eagerness. It's like, I want you to be eager for Christmas. I want you to be eager, but be patient, please. Can you endure for a little while longer? We're almost there. Patient eagerness and an eager patience. And I thought, I really like the way he did that. Because if all you are is patient, you can give up. And if all you are is eager, you can give up. But you need to be patiently eager, but you also need to be eagerly patient. And then Jeffrey Wilson writes, the patient endurance of present trials is a fruit of hope. The patient endurance of present trials is a fruit of hope, and faith is the assurance of things hoped for, a conviction of things not seen. So faith and hope are closely knit together. Without faith, you have no hope, but we have this great hope within us. So let's keep our eyes of faith expectantly looking toward an assured, glorious future. Loving and enjoying our present gifts and blessings and knowing they are but a foretaste of the glory that Christ has purchased for his people and expectantly enduring with a patient eagerness the things that eye has not seen nor mind has, has imagined the things of glory which God has prepared for us who long to see his appearing. It's just a little longer. Just a little further. Let's pray. Father God, you've given us your son. You've given us the gospel. You've given us your spirit. You've given us all things necessary for life and salvation. And when we come to your table, you give us a foretaste of heaven. You give us more of you now to say, we're in the car together. We're going to the same place, and I am with you, and I am for you. But there is something coming to which we can't even imagine. 
but help us to have our hope fixed on those things. And any good thing we have now, help us to remember that there's just foretastes of the glory to come, not even worth comparing to the great things that are out there. So help us not to get so fixed on the problems of this life that we, we forget you. And help us to be patient with others who are struggling. Help us to weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn. But none of us would mourn as, mourn as those who have no hope. But on the solid rock of Christ Jesus and the promise of future glory, we would live and breathe and have our being. And we pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen.